everyone, and welcome to King's Talk, presented by Cap City Crown. This is Tony. With me, as always, we've got John in the house. Um, John, how's it going? We took last week off. I just want to check in on you. You doing okay? You doing well? Watching any NBA Finals? It's cozy here in the house, and uh, yeah, I was watching the NBA Finals. How did we? We haven't. We didn't talk about this pre-show, but how did you feel? Did you watch Game Two? Uh, I'm not going to lie. I haven't watched game one or game two. I haven't really watched a playoff game since the Kings got knocked out. But I've been definitely following like the highlights and stuff. Okay. Well, off of that, though, I have a question now because that is interesting. Did you watch playoff games when the Kings weren't making the playoffs? Um, hmm, Not like maybe, maybe, maybe like five years ago more so than I do now. Um, I don't know. I just, I'm trying to think. I didn't really watch, I mean, who was in the finals last year? Or the Warriors Celtic? I didn't really watch that series. Um, I, I kind of, honestly, now that I think about it, I kind of stopped watching NBA playoffs since the, like, Warriors dynasty with Durant ended. Um, I remember the, the Raptors Warriors. It was, like, one of the last finals I intently watched. I think the Lakers, the bubble year, the Lakers, um... Lakers, uh, who'd they play? The Lakers Heat, I guess, huh? I watched that one, um, mostly, I guess, for LeBron, but like the Suns, the Suns Bucks, I don't think I watched a single game. And last year, I maybe caught a game or two. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't really watch the playoffs too much. I used to, but I don't know. Just, just not much anymore. I guess I just transitioned to like baseball or something. Watch my team actually try to win there or something. Right. You Dodgers fan. I'm sure you're clutching on. Holding that one close to your chest. Yeah, I actually went to a Giants game on Saturday. I was at the park. What the hell? You were in town? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was with other people. I didn't really have time to say hello, unfortunately. But, um, wow. yeah, no, I went to a game. <laughs> um, Giants won against the Orioles. Just a day trip up. Got back at like one. I was so tired. Guys. Yeah. But that was cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. Talking about that bubble year. I mean, I feel like a lot of people watch that finals because they didn't have anything else to do, but it doesn't resonate with them because it just wasn't, you know, a real NBA finals. Yeah. Like, I think we can all agree it kind of didn't count. Um, I mean, it did, but it didn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. But before that, I mean, even with the Warriors making the finals every damn year, and pretty much the Cavs, too, aside from that year the Raptors did. Like, I don't know. Maybe that is a little different for us, me in particular, but that was that was such big and, like, so big in basketball history in terms of, like, that word dynasty. And uh, I don't know. I just feel like once you come off of that, it's a little disorienting because I didn't watch any of the – Milwaukee Phoenix finals a couple years ago either and then I watched last year's um with Boston and Golden State and then I missed game one but watched like highlights for it and I watched game two last night and uh yeah freaking man (laughs) I'm glad I'm glad I mean like I kind of you know am rooting for the Nuggets and I thought it there were some interesting moments late in the game, but the, the at the end of the day, it's just like Miami's. They have they have just so many people that just perform 
on the big stage at this point. And, you know, you've seen Jimmy Butler do it all, all playoffs. And, uh, but, you know, more so in that game, it was like Bam out of bio and, uh, like Duncan Robinson had like a big, yeah, third a big fourth four, quarter. He had a big fourth. Yeah. And it's just like, man, yeah, he might have scored like their first several points in that quarter. And, um, I don't know. It's a pretty. I'm. I'm glad. I guess what I'm saying is I'm glad that it's. It's an interesting series because I felt like, after watching the highlights from Game One, after hearing about Game One, it, it seemed kind of concerning. Like after that, the second time the Warriors and the Cavs played in the in the finals, and like the Warriors, I think won. They dominated the first two games. I think this is when they blew the, the three one lead. Yeah, and. Uh, Everybody thought the series was going to be over. This is wow. This is not even like going to be that interesting. And it just com- obviously tables completely turned. But I mean, which which adds to the lore of those those years where those guys were playing because you know even if people were watching to see LeBron lose or watching to see the Warriors lose or rooting for one of those teams or you know constantly on the verge of saying they're tired of seeing these guys in there, it's just like that was just history. Yeah, I, I feel like the, those finals like ruined basketball for two reasons. One, it was like, well, who even cares about the regular season? Like in that time, it ruined basketball because you knew who right. was going to be in the finals and it happened four straight years, right? It was the Warriors right. versus the Cavs. I mean, you didn't really know so much the first year, but kind of the year after the years after that, it was kind of obvious who was going. And then, but looking at it now, it's just like, I mean, even though the Cavs got absolutely dominated once the Warriors got Durant, especially those first two years, it's like it's just hard to live up to that those finals again. I mean, you had like one the one of the greatest teams of all time going up against one of the greatest players of all time of our generation, at least. And um, Matthew Delavadova, yeah, dude, Delhi <laughs> against uh, Festus Azili. Um, just a huge matchup. So it's just like looking at it now, and maybe it's lame as me, and maybe you want to call me a casual or whatever, whatever insult you throw my way. Um, I don't know. Just Jokic and Butler just doesn't have the hype for me as it did LeBron versus Steph or LeBron versus the Dynasty of the Warriors. Um, I don't know. It might take a couple of years for me to just kind of get back to reality, but those finals definitely elevated it to a, a, the next level where that's it just kind of became a standard for those several years. Mm-hmm. Well, I would almost I, I would like push back on that because I would say that this finals is almost kind of reviving things. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I agree. I, I, don't, I don't know how m- much people felt last season. I mean, that was kind of cool to see. Like it was kind of depending on how you felt about Steph Curry more than anybody else, really. Um, cause if you have a, if you're a strong Steph Curry fan, like that was a great finals, but if you could just kind of care less and you just don't really care for the Warriors and you're tired of them, which is understandable, maybe that's not as exciting, but there's something about like, you have this kind of guy playing hero ball all playoffs long. Now, he's kind of had some down games as of late, but still it's like Jimmy Butler is just like become just an icon at this point. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like Jokic. Like everybody, like everybody keeps showing the sharing the photo of him as like a kid with his shirt <laughs> off. <laughs> like this guy is currently the best player in basketball right now, and it's just like, yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. There's something about like, and I don't know. Maybe this is for younger people, like hard zoomers, but it's like 
<laughs> there's got to be something like another picture that keeps getting shared is that picture of him wearing the shirt like I pause my game to be here and I'm just like <laughs> that's such a stupid shirt but I'm like you know what that there's so many people that resonate with that that are younger than me probably and it's just like I don't know if I've ever seen this picture <laughs> I pause my like game him, to be here yeah it's like a t-shirt yeah, he's wearing in the up. locker room after the game <laughs> and uh, I don't know there's just something a kind of these two characters, these two teams too, that are like, I don't know. Um, I saw a tweet where it's like this, this finals is perfect encapsulation of, um, I think of millennials uh, in this, in, in, in like that could happen because you have like the one millennial group that's like the crypto bro represented by Miami. And then you have like the other millennial that is like the wannabe kind of, you know, rural, kind of small time folk in Denver and I don't know something to that effect <laughs> maybe I'm reading too much into it but I'm like I kind of feel like the NBA is kind of creating a different thing here they're doing something new that's still kind of intriguing you know it's not just like oh Chris Paul's trying to get a ring you know or like look at Giannis it's <laughs> like they, these guys like ha- they add something they, they kind of have like a not like a WWE element thank god but it's like they have an element to them that is a little bit more than basketball on top of being exceptionally good players. And they have a pretty good supporting casts around them, you know? So, yeah, I read something today where Jokic is, it says something about Jokic where he's like more like invested in his horses than basketball or something. <laughs> I don't know if that was true. I'm like, I don't know. I believe it. <laughs> Did you see that or am I crazy? No, he's, you know what? He's gangster. I love, I love Jokic. He's, he's like a big Hasbulla. <laughs> you know i don't know um a horse racing it, like betting on it um or having a horse that he owns he has a horse racing hobby um <laughs> so funny he enjoys taking care of horses in the stable God, and i, I think that. he's riding a horse i don't know yeah, clearly he, wouldn't be a good uh jockey no <laughs> no not at all i love that shirt yeah Jokic man he's just a, he's a relatable guy <laughs> but yeah, that's I, my, I do, that's I do my like argument Jokic. that's yeah. my argument for this finals i really do i find i find it compelling in that sense that it's just kind of like if you take it from like you have like a humored approach to it. It's kind of fun, you know? It's like there's not, I mean, Giannis is a good guy, but it's like there's nothing fun about like Giannis and Chris Paul. The funniest thing that ever happened about Chris Paul is when Kanye tweeted that one thing of his picture about his wife. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, I don't know. He's... I might cut this, but uh, I'll tell you. It's like when it was like right after, right before Kanye was going to get kicked off of Twitter because he was saying all this uh-huh. shit. He posted a picture of Chris Paul. He's like, yo, by the way, before I'm out, I found this guy in, in bed with Kim, <laughs> which is his wife. <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> okay. I thought you were talking about Chris Paul's wife. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, did, so I do remember that. Clarified. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's just my point is, is like, I don't know. Like, I don't really care about Chris Paul unless it's like juicy stuff like that. <laughs> maybe I'm, maybe we're getting a little away from basketball, but <laughs> I, I my overall thesis here is that uh, I'm a fan of this NBA Finals, and uh, when I haven't been, um, 
two of the last three years. I like this one comment about Kanye <laughs> tweeting that about Chris Paul. It's like Chris Paul really about to lose his only ring because <laughs> he's married. <laughs> oh my god, this is That's great. Funny. This is great. I think this is a great podcast. This is just showing us where we are uh, currently in the off season. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I guess trying to get back on track a little. I mean, we were talking about the finals, yes. Um, but more importantly, uh, in the Kings universe, the only thing really coming up ahead is the NBA draft, uh, June twenty second. A little less, a little over two weeks away. Uh, John, is there? You've been writing these good articles. Anyone who hasn't checked them out, uh, John's been releasing articles about a couple a week on like five draft prospects at a time, just some good ones the Kings could pick with their draft picks. They own, what, the 24th, the 36th, and 38th? Is that right? Or 46th and 48th? What is it? 38th and 54th. Okay, I'm just completely off. Um, but, yeah. So, <laughs> and he says he has several more coming, so just stay tuned. Um, but who do you like? Who, who who do you like with, I guess, more most importantly, at least in Kings fans' minds, um, who do you like with that 24th pick? I mean, I have a few options, obviously. But like one of the things that I think is interesting is it's like, first of all, the great thing about being at pick 24 from our perspective is we can kind of just throw a mess of different players out there and let the cards fall where they may. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we can just talk about a bunch of different guys and it's fun. But it's also just like, hmm. You know, at pick 24, you're, they're obviously going to want to live by the, the philosophy of taking the best player available, which is the smartest thing, you know. Like in terms of Charlotte, every, some people, there's been some smoke around the idea that they're going to take Brandon Miller because he's a better fit. That would be so stupid. Like that never, that hardly ever works out. Yeah, Marvin Bagley. <laughs> Perfect, you know. So um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, um, what that means, though, is it going to be a guy that uh, is older and maybe can contribute sooner than later, or is it more of a project or something in between that? So it'd be interesting. So it's kind of far-ranging and whatnot. I mean, like, I think the perfect person, and now it's just, like, totally, I think, out of the question because I just don't really see how this guy isn't in the late lottery, maybe even a little bit out of the late lottery, but definitely in the late lottery, I think, in my mind. But Bilal Kal... Oh, God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Kalavali. Uh, I'm like, I picked the one that I'm like, I, don't, I honestly don't know how to say his name. But um, I've only been reading and writing it. But um, <laughs> uh, that's the type of guy that, like, he's, with his, like, being, like, six seven long-ass wingspan... Um, just projects to be an absolute killer on defense, you know, uh, is lightning fast. He almost looks like a little bit of a bigger version of Darren Fox. Not saying they play the same way, but just like watching tape. He just seems like the type of guy that would sprout into an, like an absolute star, which is kind of amazing that he would even kind of make it outside the late lottery or be in the late lottery. You almost feel like he could go earlier, but there's a lot of depth and talent in this draft. And, um, I mean, like, I would say him. He's, like, the first one that comes to mind. But 
you keep looking at mock drafts, his his stock's been rising, and uh, it's easy to see why. And so I don't really see him in any capacity being available at 24. And nor do I really see like the Kings trading up to get anybody. Um, it just doesn't really seem like a good strategy from 24, especially when you have such a good core and a pretty good team as it is, and you can add a little bit through a free agency. So I feel like they'll let things come to them, and he'll be off the board. Any strong thoughts there? Um, yeah, cool would be however you say it. <laughs> um, no, no, let's figure it out. Let's figure out how we say his name. Okay, yeah. You're right. It's not whatever. It's like Monty McNair or Monte. Yeah, you're just going around saying Monte forever. Or no, I, we've been saying Vezenkov so many wrong. So, so Vezenkov? Viz- I don't even know anymore. Okay, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play this clip. <laughs> Is this Kulibali? Kulibali. Kulibali. Okay. All right. Oh, nice. Kulibali. She says it a lot better than I do. Yeah, and sounds a lot more French. Yeah. Well, and you were talking about them probably not moving up to get a pick, and I don't think so as well. What about just trading the pick away in general? Maybe even do do you see the Kings or Monte T Monte? Uh, using this pick as leverage to get rid of Holmes's contract? Yeah, I mean, like that that does come into play, definitely. But um, then we couldn't talk about these prospects. <laughs> That's a great point. Well, yeah. But also, you know, one of the things that I was under the impression of, and then I just kept reading it everywhere, and I'm like, oh, I guess not. But like, there's a good chance the first round pick will get conveyed to Atlanta next year, right? Um. Yeah, next year's, huh? What happened to that Stepien rule? Uh, where you have to have two first, you can't have consecutive years without a first round pick. So wouldn't they have to be able to get a first round pick too in the process? That's that's a great point. I don't know though, and I haven't read it anywhere, and I just feel like uh, I don't know enough at this point. But I've just been like, what did we just completely did they drop that or something? Is that not a thing anymore? Is, am I missing something? Nobody. Yeah, knows. I don't know the exact rule around it. Yeah, um, right. That's right. a good point, though. Yeah, can they not trade it at all? Like not even on draft night? I don't. Yeah, that's that's a great it's a great point. I didn't think about that really. I have no clue. So if anybody can answer that, like, please let me know because I look it up and it's just like nobody ever mentions them in that thing and everybody just talks about that they can trade their first round pick which i don't doubt like if people are writing about it that kind of volume then sure i don't have any reason to doubt them but i'm just curious as to what is up with that because it's like top 14 projected uh protected next season for atlanta so if the kings make the playoffs essentially the pick goes to atlanta yeah it's what top 10 protected yeah, it might be. And then it goes up to 14 the next year mm-hmm. or something like that. I don't know off the top of my head, but just a thought that I've had. And I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But um, like I said, if people are writing about it and talking about it, it's such a high volume and nobody's really come out to correct it, then, you know, I'm not going to doubt that. And of course, <laughs> you probably would have to use that to get rid of Holmes. Unless like Jordy Fernandez becomes the coach of Toronto and is just like, no, 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 we could take Holmes. Because I mean, I think Holmes played two of his two of his best games of the season when Fernandez was the head coach. But that's just throwing stuff in the air there. But um, 
You know, another guy, though, in terms of the draft that uh, I don't think will be available, but is in, is is on everybody's mock draft, apparently, is going 24 to the Kings, is Chris Murray. I I just don't see how he gets drafted. I don't even see how he gets really past pick 20. Yeah, I'd be surprised. I think it's just everyone. I think all the big media members just trying to get clicks. Um, and that trying to number. satisfy Kings fans. Yeah, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little uh, guilty of this at times too. Probably posting more about Chris Murray <laughs> than I need to. But I mean, be interesting to draft Keegan's brother, who put up 20 point, or not just brother, his twin, who put up 20 points a game in uh, Iowa this year. I mean, he he looks solid. Maybe not the shooter that Keegan is. Um, but he brings a lot more to the table, and I think maybe even a better rebounder than Keegan is. Um, but I mean, still a very solid guy. I mean, I, I don't see him dropping to twenty four though. Seems a little optimistic. Right. I don't even know if the Kings get him at that point either. I mean, maybe play, best player available probably. I'd be interested in his. I mean, he would just back up Barnes at that point, right? Or I, even if we have Barnes at that point, kind of interesting. Or do you slide Keegan down to the three? So many, so many questions. Yeah, it's a lot of things are kind of predicated on what happens with Barnes and even kind of like uh, Vizinkov because, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> In the draft, I don't know, all these things come into play. But uh, um, on Chris Murray, it's just like he's one of those guys that is going to be a contributor. He could definitely be in a rotation, no problem. And... uh He's a little bit more emotional than Keegan Murray, but in terms of like work ethic and the learning curve, it's got to be about the same, you would suspect. And uh, I thought it was interesting, though, what his what their dad said. I think he told Brendan Nunez it was, that um, he kind of is hoping that Chris gets drafted somewhere else and then the brothers reunite later in their career because he thinks it would be good for them, I think. Mm-hmm. So that would be interesting. But I think at the same time, too, it's like, they, they played one season without each other for the first time. So it'd be kind of cool to kind of like bridge that gap again. Yeah. And they, I mean, they both had great seasons too without one another. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they they can obviously play a part, but um, it'd be nice to, you know, bring him in. And they seem, I mean, if I'm assuming Chris is, and I've heard is just a high character guy like Keegan himself. Uh, you know, Monty's all about drafting those high character guys. So, I mean, it seems like a seamless fit. In that uh, in that situation as well, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so obviously, if he's there at twenty four, he's a guy mm-hmm. that they would jump on and snag, and everybody's writing that story already. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe people are talking about that more than anything now because it's just not going to happen. So it's like <laughs> just <laughs> just kind of like way. yeah, just uh, cash in on all those. Good story height. points. Yeah. Yeah. Especially after the rookie year Keegan had to. Mm-hmm. What but, can Chris do? Who's older? Do you know? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think I feel like Maybe you can look it up easily. I think, yeah. I think Kyle Draper, he like talks to like different players throughout the year, like feature it. Um and I think he talked to Keegan early on. And I think he asked him that question. Because it's a very Kyle Draper question to ask. Yeah. Which is very good because he gets to the bottom minutes. of it. 
Yeah, what's the average like uh, difference in time? Is it is it just like two minutes, three minutes, an hour? Does that ever happen? I don't know. Like go grab a cup of coffee. Like go shoot one out and then get a cup of coffee and then shoot the other one out. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's what that's that's what Brendan Nunes should have asked uh, Kenyon Murray. Dude, he should be asking Kenyon Murray the tough ones. I don't know Kenyon's mom's name. She would know best. Yes, I guess so. Um, <laughs> but is I mean, I feel like those are kind of like two off the top of my head that I'm just like, man, that'd be great, but no. Is there anybody else like that or anybody that comes to mind? I think the guys I like most personally um, are guys. It's like, okay, we have the 24th pick, which is just kind of like new terrain in itself for the Kings. <laughs> We're usually top 10 um, since we suck for so long or we sucked for so long. Um, and it's like the 24th pick. It's like, man, it's, it's, it's not like a pick. It's like deep enough where it's like, man, and the Kings are good too. So and you're not trying to develop any guys really. You're trying to just go out there and capital or do better on a 48 win season. Um, so it's like, I don't know. You need a guy, either get a guy that's going to make an impact, which is going to be hard with that 24th pick. Um, or you're going to get some guy you put in the G League maybe. So the guys that kind of come out to me or stand out to me are guys you can plug in immediately. And that, those are the guys, like the the centers who can rebound um, and who can play good defense, like James Nanji, is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm, Derek Nanji. Lively and um, Trace Jackson, I believe is the other name. Just like big guys can rebound, athletic guys. You, like They have the type of skill sets that aren't hard to just plug in into any NBA offense or just NBA scheme, really. It's like, all right, you need a rebound. Are you just going to throw down alley-oops, you know? You need some guy who can play behind Sabonis, maybe even be a third-string guy, or maybe even be a second-string guy. We, we don't really have that backup uh, center figured out yet with Landon Metu being free agents and Holmes still being a big question mark, a guy they're trying to move. So if you can find some guy in the draft, um, play good defense down low and just convert near the rim at a, high, a decent percentage as a rookie, some guy you can plug in pretty decently. I mean, I, th- I think that would be a good option. Some guy you're not really relying on to shoot at a high clip, which, I mean, would be great, but some kind of, sometimes those guys are question marks and their shots not falling, then they kind of just play themselves out of the rotation. Almost like a better Willie Cauley-Stein, hopefully. But even like a <laughs> Willie Cauley-Stein in his prime was decent. Mm-hmm. Right. So those are the guys that are standing out to me at the moment. This easy plug-and-play plug guys from the get-go who can adjust to the game fairly well for what they can offer. Yeah. I think Derek lively, if I think on the topic of guys that probably might not fall to 24, might as well throw him in there too, because he just keeps rising up these lists because he shot really well on his pro day. And from what I understand at his time at Duke is that he couldn't shoot, you know, to, you know, save anybody's life. And, um, so that's kind of an interesting thing where it's just like, dang it. <laughs> I guess he shot a lot at an AAU ball in high school, uh, but he didn't do it a lot in college. 
And so I guess that's kind of raising his, his, his stock and kind of putting him out of reach at this point. But um, he would be obviously perfect because he would be a guy that, you know, could fit into the rotation and back up Savonis. But man, you, you, you can only hope that he, he falls. Cause I think I saw on a recent bleacher report mock draft, I think they had him going at like 12. So no, um, just like, yeah, he's like shooting up these lists. So okay. uh, yeah, 12 going to OKC. Yeah. And OKC would do that. I feel like mm-hmm. I mean, he's, I think obviously outside of Wimbanyama, he's the, the best center in the draft. And you know, Man, but hey, there's a lot of good players in this draft. Guys might see something other other people. It's there's a chance good players could fall back. Um, would be really great if like Grady Dick fell. You love that man. Hey, man, he can shoot and he's got a hell of a name. Hell of a name. Isn't there a guy coming into the draft and his last name's Ho? You fat? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I know that guy. <laughs> uh, his name is Steve Ho You Fat, French professional basketball player who plays for the Metropolitans '92. Those Mets, yeah. Um, <laughs> He's 34 years old. Wow, that's crazy. But that is his last name. Mo You Fat, or like literally how you think it would be spelled. All right. H-O-Y-O-U-F-A-T, all different words. But, I mean, uh, in terms of the other guys that you mentioned, uh, James Naji, I think he, he's interesting because he shows up sometimes as kind of a late sec, late first-round pick and sometimes an early to mid-second-round pick on some mock drafts. Um, the one problem with him is he's 18. He's really young. And I really – I feel like it's dubious if he would be able to – make an impact in his first or even second season. And I don't think he came to basketball super early in life. So, um, but in terms of being a prospect, I really like him because he's got all the athleticism in the world. He can rebound. He'll be able to defend and maybe even have switchability. So he's a guy that, Hey man, you, you sign a backup center and then you kind of just say like, you know, maybe get a little real about Nemus Keda and uh, it, go ahead and, and, and really develop this guy into the center that everybody thinks he can be. And, you know, you always got to be careful about like what you get out of those guys, what you expect out of those guys though. Cause it's not like he would be turning into an all-star or anything like that. He'd be turning into like, maybe like a little bit of a better Bismack Biombo, you know? Mm-hmm. So, that's also the interesting thing is it's just like, oh man, is it like this guy's ceiling or is it like, but this guy's got a, such a sure floor, you know, what are you, yeah. what are you going for? But I think both of both lively and Najee in different ways, both have a high floor because I think Najee's athleticism is just so real. Um, and then lively does a lot of things that he, like I said, he could be a rotational guy. You're one um, that, but they also have high ceilings. So they're very interesting. And I think that's why they'll probably both be first round picks. Uh, I could eat my words on that. Cause watch James Najee like fall to 60 <laughs> pick number 60. Or they don't even have 60. Cause it's like two picks are forfeited. So it's only 58 picks. I think. Oh yeah. Who forfeited their picks? 
and like Chicago and somebody I could get it in a second. Yeah, Chicago and Philadelphia. Yeah, forgot about that. But um, yeah. And then did you say another center? Uh, Trace Jackson. Ah, uh, yeah, Trace Jackson Davis is another guy that kind of again I don't know if he's going to be. Some people have the Kings picking him, um, and some people kind of have him like in and around there, and some people have him as kind of like an early second round pick. So, and I, and I like Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, I think he was he, he was like a four year player at Indiana. Um, the one thing is, is you know, you look at some other kind of players. I don't think he's a center, but Noah Clowney is a guy that gets compared a lot to not compared, but he's kind of in the same kind of uh realm in terms of mock drafts and whatnot and positionally kind of similar um because Clowney could develop into kind of a five in the modern nba yeah uh, mm-hmm. i think he's only like 19 coming out of alabama uh as a freshman but he's got he's on track i guess the reason i'm bringing him up is he didn't shoot threes at alabama super well but he is on he's got that upside he's got the mechanics like things can come along I don't know off the top of my head what his free throw percentage was, but he might be one of those guys that shot a good free throw percentage, and that's always a good tell in terms of shooting touch. And um, Trace Jackson Davis does not have that. He's, he's got a really bad, wonky shot. He's never really hit it at a convincing rate. But you're talking about a guy that could be defensively versatile, he's pretty athletic. He's a very good, high character guy, if you're talking about that, which is probably. I don't know if that's why people are connecting him to the Kings, but that that wouldn't be a bad reason why. Um, I think he was a really good leader. Mike Woodson coaches Indiana, and uh, I think he had only good things to say about him. So that's a former NBA coach that is uh, is, is speaking highly of this guy. Obviously, I mean, it's his guy. Um, but, you know, I think he would be really good. I just and, – and, and I even think he could maybe fill in as a backup five – although you definitely want him competing with somebody. And yeah, I mean, it depends where he's at in the draft. Some places have made it seem like he would be available at 38. And obviously that would be a steal. But yeah, I feel like if you are going to get him, you'd have to take him at 24. And it'd just be interesting to see what the the pool of available players is at that point. But I've... Feel like a lot of people are iffy about Trace Jackson Davis, TJD, as some people call him. <laughs> um, so we might as well get familiar with him. And but you know, I feel like from what I've read, I mean, like you kind of know what you're getting out of him. So I kind of like those players in the draft. They're not always the best player available, though. That's the one thing. So mm-hmm. that's true. That would be interesting. But in terms of that 24th pick, a guy I. Two guys um, that I think would be really good, I think, would be Maxwell Lewis, Pepperdine guy, ran the DHO, shot off the DHO a lot um, for the Waves, and uh, pretty good athlete, long wingspan, could projectably become a good defender. And I feel like he's the type of guy that, you know, people are like, well, he was he was such a good player, but... Um, you know, the I think Pepperdine won like 14 games or something like that. They didn't win a lot of games. They might have won less than that, honestly. No, yeah, they won nine games. They went nine and 23. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, 
I'm hyping up the swells there and uh, for the waves. And, you know, I feel like he's a legit, sh- he, he's going to be able to have a projectable shot. I mean, he shot, I think, 35% from three on about four attempts. And, like, that's not great, but he was also, like, ball dominant there. And you feel like if you're having a more of a floor spacer kind of off the bench or something like that, well, now you're all of a sudden talking about more catch-and-shoot opportunities, which I think in all his catch-and-shoot opportunities, not just from three, he shot at, like, 43%. So, you know, that's a guy that could come in, and I feel like you get him well-coached and whatnot, and you got – former Pepperdine Waves there in Doug Christie and then on a more younger scale Kessler Edwards who will presumably be there and uh, you know I just feel like that's the type of thing where with the athleticism you get that kind of mentorship I mean he would be just a similar you know kind of like understanding of certain NBA sets on offense including the DHO I just feel like if he's available at 24 and some people have him going a little bit earlier than that. Some people even have him going after that. Um, but kind of in that twenties range in the draft, I think is kind of the consensus on him. I really feel like that could be a good pick. Now I'm afraid I'm highlighting too much of the kind of fit aspect of things there, but I mean, he offers a lot in terms of upside because he was, he was such a good scorer at Pepperdine. And I just feel like, again, you get him in a little bit of a reduced role. You get him in a good environment where he's well-mentored and you have him develop a little bit. And I feel like in a few years, you might have a starter. So uh, he he could be really good. He could be really, really good. And he's only 20. So yeah. he's the guy that I feel like is is pretty terrific. I mean, any strong strong views out of the 6'7", small forward out of Pepperdine? Um, no, I mean, it is nice that he could probably transition to the king's game plan fairly easily i think that's like the most important part i mean it's not the most important part but it's it's kind of like either and i guess you can say about say this about a lot of guys uh or a lot of draft picks but i mean especially i don't know it's just so different now with the kings being having that 24th pick it's like do you get a project or do you get a guy that can transition like not immediately but you can actually make the rotation and i think that's just monty's decision right now it's like what are you looking for? Do you want a guy that can fill in right away? Or do you want a guy you can kind of put on the back burner, let him develop a little more, and then in a couple of years he can prove to be a guy, a rotational guy? And I just something I'm just not used to, I guess. And I haven't really thought about too much because we're always like trying to get that next big star in the lottery. But it's just a little different this year. So it sounds like he's a guy who can – he kind of sounds like the best of both worlds in that situation where it's like, yeah, he can probably fit – he can fit in next season as well as being a little bit of a project who can be even better in a couple of years. So that's what I kind of like about him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like in a, in a way you kind of get to that back end and you look at the highest value player. If we want to look at it that way, like best player available, who has, who's the best asset, who has the best value. And it's going to be a lot of guys that are a little bit, maybe more projects. I feel like, you know, you're talking about like uh, city Sissoko and like maybe Ryan Rupert, who's another guy I like. I like both of them because they're long and they project. They have shooting projections to be good and really good defenders and versatile and whatnot. And so like, I feel like if either of those guys are available, you might just see McNair take them. But you know, Maxwell Lewis is a guy that 
you could make the argument still might have a better roadmap to having a better career. Now, obviously, he doesn't have as good. Well, he's still got a seven foot wingspan. He's six seven. I think he's around two hundred and ten pounds. I mean, he's got a lot of things going for him. He's got good athleticism. So, in a lot of ways, yeah, he is a little bit of the best of both worlds. And I feel like another guy that's um, similar to that is is um, Bryce Sensabaugh out of Ohio State. He's a freshman, 19, 6'5". He's got a great frame on him in, in terms of being 235 pounds. And uh, I think he's one of the best shooters in the draft. So he would also be a guy that, like, I don't know if he would start. I don't know if you'd want him starting. Like, that would not be – I feel like that's a setback there to be starting a rookie that you get late in the first round if he was mm-hmm. available. Bryce Sensabaugh is a guy that I think has been mocked at, like, 16, 17, 18. But he's also been mocked lately around 22, 23. So I don't know if he'll be available. I, I would almost include – be. I would almost be tempted to say it's less likely he's available than Maxwell Lewis. But – Shooting is one of those things that like, teams are always looking for that is always going to help. And that's a little bit more his specialty than Lewis because Maxwell Lewis got to the rim a lot at, at Pepperdine. And obviously, being ball dominant, he did a lot of different things. But that's probably one of his more revered uh, traits. Whereas with Sensabaugh, it's about the frame and the shooting. He's got an NBA-level frame at 235 pounds. And, uh, you know, he can shoot the lights, you know, the lights out. He shot 40.5% from three-pointer, three-point range on four and a half attempts per game and 45.8% on those catch-and-shoot attempts. And he's just like, he's he's also got that kind of quality of being fearless, which you hear Mike Brown talk about a lot. Like, he wants guys that are fearless, no hesitation, they're confident. And I just feel like, in terms of that, you get that guy kind of coming off the bench in his first year. I mean, that that, that could be a hell of an asset. And I, we've, mm-hmm. I feel like I've said that about a few guys now. <laughs> but um, Bryce Hensilbaugh is one of those guys that I, I mean, like he, I think a month ago people were talking about him being a late lottery pick. So, and I don't think he really did anything to lose out. I just think other guys are rising in in stock. But he's legitimately one of the best shooters in in this class. So, you know, those are like two guys where I'm just like, in terms of guys that could come in, you know, make an impact and project to be starters in a few years. Um, those guys are, are, are terrific. And I guess Derek Whitehead's another one. Yeah. And a Duke, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, he looks interesting too. Because he's got the, I think he's 6'7", long wingspan. I think he's a better defender than both of those guys. Like off, like as it stands now, but he had like two foot surgeries in a year, and yeah, I don't know, but that might put him in. The, he's there's a reason he's been put at twenty four because I think it, before the season even started, he was projected to be a top ten pick. So, you know, you're talking about a guy then all of a sudden that I don't know. I mean, like a couple foot injuries. That's kind of interesting. Um, people have said that you got to wait on like, uh, another medical report on him because it could like come back saying or clarifying that it's not necessarily like, you know, they basically could shed light more on what was going on and it might kind of, I guess, uh, kind of 
let him off the hook in terms of injury concerns. But you know, it's a there's it's a it's a huge reason as to why he's being projected as a late first round pick. But you'd be getting a a far more sure two way player than the previous two players we were just talking about, and it's just there's a little more risk involved with him. Mm-hmm. But he would be good, obviously. Yeah, he would be interesting. A little bit of a risk, but. You know, there's so many French players in the draft almost because his name his name Derek is spelled D A R I Q. I almost went to Derek. <laughs> Derek. He sounds. And then Whitehead. Whitehead's <laughs> gonna be like the most like unappealing last name you could have. <laughs> I know. I would, huh? I would change my my last name if it was Whitehead. <laughs> I'm like, oh. But you know, another guy that you know is has drifted into first round conversation. Because of, you know, this happens with the Santa Clara guys, I guess, because it happened to Jalen Williams last year. Jalen Williams had a great scrimmage at the combine last year and shot up from being like a early second round pick to being, I think he was a late lottery pick for OKC. And yeah, um, I think so. All rookie first team, deservingly. I think we, the Kings saw them three times. And yeah, they beat him every time. Yeah, but you also saw that Jalen Williams is a hell of a player. No, he couldn't beat us. <laughs> First player drafted out of Santa Clara since the Nash. Um, and uh, Brandon po- Podzemski. I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah. <laughs> Pods- Podzemski. That's how it's yeah. spelled, I think. <laughs> right? Podzemski? It's not Podzemitsky. It's Pod- Podzemski. Like Podzemski. I watch these yeah. highlight videos and shit with the sound off. I'm like, <laughs> I don't like the sound of announcers. But um, they might give me clarity as to how to say some of these freaking names. But um, I think he was. I think I just read a mock draft where he was like pick number twenty. But I think a lot of them have him at like, like those last five or six picks in the draft, right in the pocket of where the Kings could draft him. And I'm not just saying this from his demeanor and the fact that he's like a little redheaded, kind of a little white boy with swag, but he really does have a lot of Dante DiVincenzo to him. And uh, he, <laughs> that's not bad. No, yeah, yeah, he's. Uh, I think he's obviously he's a better shooter than DiVincenzo um, because he's one. He's another guy, and I've said that I said this about Sensabaugh, but I, it's also true of Podzemski. Is he's one of the best shooters in the draft. I think he shot like forty. Three percent. Yeah, 43. forty, almost forty-four percent, forty-three point eight percent, and uh, similar with catch and shoot. He's pretty good off the dribble. I mean, he he does so much. He would be such a good like secondary guard, you know, uh, because he's six five. He's athletic. He's he 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 has some potential on defense. Plays with good activity and whatnot. But he also rebounds. I mean, he rebounds. I think he had. 8.8 rebounds per game, uh, which if you're talking about DiVincenzo, one of the things DiVincenzo does so well is crash the glass. And this this kid has a similar kind of uh, pedigree to him. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is DiVincenzo Jr. Because, you know, DiVincenzo came from such a well-disciplined program uh, that really does a good job of getting guys ready for kind of NBA work. Not saying anything about Santa Clara, but you know, maybe Jalen Williams is just really good. 
So we'll we'll have to see what happens with Brandon Podzemski. But I feel like that shooting, the confidence he plays with, the athleticism that I don't think people recognize until he did his like he did the combine uh thing. And uh yeah, good feel for the game, I think is what a lot of people say. So I mean, the only issue is, and again, we would hope that you wouldn't get into this and you'd be talking about best player available, but best player available could have some very fine lines to it. And, um, you know. Yeah, especially at this point. Especially at the 24th pick. Because it's like if Podzemski's available, but also like Sizoko's available or something like that. Like, again, I just feel like, don't you think you take Suzuko at that point? You get the developmental project that'll help you out in like two years and maybe be really, really good, at least on the defensive end, rather than a guy that doesn't really, I mean, like quite frankly, could probably contribute as a backup on a team. But at the same time, it's like, where would he play for the Kings? He would basically be put into that Terrence Davis role, which might be good for him in his rookie year. I don't know. Maybe he gives you more confidence in using Davion Mitchell as a trade ship or something like that. I don't want to get too far down the line or make it seem like that's a must, you know, like a, a must for the front office. But like, there's there's reasons to take him, and I think he'd be really interesting. And I um I don't really have a lot of like strong impressions about um, NBA comparisons, but I I I've, and again maybe it's because of the the the. Uh, kind of outward appearance and the energy to him, but there's a lot, a, a lot of similarities with DiVincenzo who Kings fans got to see in a limited and really not the most flattering stretch of basketball, but always played hard, played the right way and uh, had a good, good year for Golden State, a good bounce back year, if you will. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be a bad pick either. Podzemski. Podzemski? Is that IE? I don't know. I know. I don't know either, but, uh, I like Podzemski. Nice combo guard. I think that would be really interesting. But yeah, I feel like in terms of the 24th pick, those are kind of the the uh, main attractions. And uh, I feel like when you start talking about pick 38, if the Kings choose to, to, to keep it, there's a couple interesting guys. Again, like we were talking about Trace Jackson Davis. If he was available there, that would be a great opportunity to grab him. Uh, but there are also guys that, you know, are a little, maybe a little more likely to be there that I think would be really good. There's a fella at a Marquette named uh, Olivier Maxence Prosper. They call him Omax. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that and guy. I feel like if you're talking about, I mean, look with him, it's like, I don't know if he'd necessarily be getting a five because I think he's kind of more of a a power forward than anything. I think some people even have him listed as more of like a wing power forward type thing. So I don't think you're necessarily getting a backup five, but I feel like that's still kind of a positional thing that could work. But again, not getting too caught up on that. What would you, what's the real great thing about Omax here? He's athletic. He's six, eight. um, He's got a long wingspan at seven, one. And he really projects to be versatile and effective at switching on defense. And he could be a really, really good guy that could potentially guard the one through the five. But, you know, probably early in his career, I would assume it would be the two through the four. 
and you know plays with good activity uh is has enough physicality to him with around 210 215 pounds to take some contact on um he moves his feet well there's there's a lot of things to like on that end and he finishes it around the rim you know i think at a pretty decent rate for college ball and he's he's also kind of a guy that i think people kind of talk about uh you know having some amount of like a shooting upside that we'll have to see he didn't really shoot a lot in college and i think it was like just over 30 percent but he's a good like off ball cutter and whatnot and i mean you'd be getting him more for his defense than anything and i, I really think that he's almost kind of like a cut rate version of like Suzoko, who i keep kind of mentioning a lot <laughs> but um you know I feel like he could be really interesting in terms of being a defensive weapon that I don't think he'd be like a nightly rotational guy as a rookie, but you'd be able to plug him in at times, kind of have him as an option and kind of work him into things and see what he can do. And especially at pick 38, if you're getting a guy that can do that, that's really good value. And maybe I'm overselling him or maybe I'm overselling the fact that he'd even be available if that's indeed true. But I don't know. He just seems like the type of guy that those long athletic defensive, not, not just like defensively talented, but like guys that like buy into that end and they really understand and you get the sense and I don't know the kid at all. So what the hell do I know? But you get the sense that he would understand what a role is. He's not trying to be anything more. And I just think that that's so important that you combine that with physical skills and athleticism. Well, all of a sudden you got a hell of a player at pick 38. And that just sounds, that sounds good. Obviously the, the, the organization will have to do the vetting on him to see if he really is like a hard worker and whatnot and all that stuff. But Omax, man, maybe it's just the name, but. And the name is pretty, it's a pretty cool name. <laughs> but yeah, another guy who can fall into the second round. I kind of like is Kobe Brown. 6'8", senior, 23 years old, out of Missouri. Um, that age is a little it's a little high, but it's also a guy maybe who can be more NBA-ready sooner than later. Um, he's good at converting at the rim. He wrote here 62%. Shooting for him quick. 44, he hit 44% of all his catch-shoot looks in the past season. He shot 45% from three. In his last season, which is kind of it was out of the ordinary as he only shot like 23% in his first three years of college. So it's like, okay, is he actually a good shooter or not? So that's kind of a question mark in itself. Um, decent defense, but that's still kind of a question mark in his game. But it just seems kind of be like a dynamic player, can pass well, can play decent defense, has a seven-one wing, seven, wingspan, and hopefully hit that three ball well. And that age... And just makes it seem like he's not much of a project at this point as he is just NBA ready. Again, a second rounder, you don't know. Second rounders are always like question marks. Like, will they ever even play in the NBA? But this seems like a guy who, if you can get in the second round, could actually see some minutes sooner than later in the NBA. Yeah, I love Kobe Brown. Um, and again, I, I would not be surprised if he doesn't pan out. But I also think that he's got all the tools in the, rule, in, in the world to be a really dynamic player. And um, obviously the age 23 thing is one thing. It's like, okay, uh, how much more is his ceiling going to be? 
but also it's just like, well, that's going to secure him for a potential pick 38. And he's, you know, rising on a lot of guys' radars, I guess you would say. But I think one of the interesting things is the shooting thing is a mystery. Like, is he going to come into the NBA and shoot 40%? Probably not. But to have that kind of catch and shoot ability that, that, that at least kind of space the floor a little bit, that's going to lend him a lot of help. Um, because he's not really big enough to play the center position, although he's got a great frame on him. He's only 6'8". Although, damn it, you had Chemezi Metsu playing <laughs> back of center for, you know. Yeah. But I, I think Kobe Brown is more of a power forward. And um, uh, he's kind of, he's not a great defender, but he, he he's really a smart player. He sees the floor well on that end. He can anticipate things. He's savvy with like, uh, different little moves, like kind of doing little kind of like fake sit guys that are that are driving towards him. I mean, he just has like a good feel for the game over there and he's engaged to it. And um, I think the most interesting thing is his ability to kind of be a connector on offense to make passes from the pocket or from the short roll, you know, either kicking it out or hitting hitting drivers and cutters coming along the baseline or the other side. And I think that's a really interesting thing. And, you know, I'm not trying to go crazy uh, on Kobe Brown, but I just think it's interesting that if he was available pick 38, there's another guy about 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, that was a four-year player at college, you know, coming out as a senior, who was kind of a positionally interesting player at around the same height, not the same body, I don't think necessarily, but similar, kind of a chunky guy who ended up being a very dynamic player. Now, obviously, he's not Kobe Brown's not the same defender, and I don't think he's necessarily guaranteed to be a multiple-time all-star like this guy, but I'm talking about Draymond Green. And again, I'm not saying Kobe Brown's going to come in and be like a defensive player of the year type guy, but in terms of getting value at that position out of an older player, out of one that some people are iffy about, I don't know. I feel like, that 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 uh, that story writes itself. So, Kobe Brown could be a very very interesting pick. Yeah, I think interesting is a good word to put it. Um, definitely has that upside if you if it all comes together. But could just be a guy who's <laughs> just be a. I mean, it's hard to call him a bust because I mean, you can't really call a second rounder a bust, but a guy who just won't really ever pan out in the NBA. Yeah, because if he goes back to shooting twenty something percent from three, which is very possible, yeah, it's just that's really going to hinder any ability. Because again, he's not like exceptionally great on defense, mm-hmm. but you know, and also there's the whole thing of like, man, you'd be getting really redundant at that position at pick thirty eight. You know, if uh, Vizinkov comes and you keep Lyles, <laughs> you know, yeah. now you're kind of talking about a situation where it's like, well, when Kobe Brown's never going to see the floor. He's at an age where you'd probably like to see him kind of develop by playing and not sitting on the sideline. And I, you probably just wouldn't want, want that to necessarily happen, but who knows what happens in the off season and with certain guys decisions. And maybe they, they see Kobe Brown as easily the best available talent. Although it'd be interesting because probably the guy that even more than Olivier Maxence Prosper, which Prosper is a really great name. That's a very Yeah, I know. I like that name too. Greatness. But um there's a guy named Julian Phillips out of uh Tennessee. And Tennessee 
had one of the best defenses in college basketball. I think they finished with the third best defense and they were near the top all season long. And before he got hurt for about a week or two and lost his spot in the starting lineup, um, probably the most impactful defender was Julian Phillips. And the thing about Julian Phillips is he had, I think some of the best, um, like standing vertical and max vertical leaps. He's a tremendous athlete, seven foot wingspan. He's quick. He's 19, moves fluidly. He's six eight, by the way. And um, he's just a great defensive prospect. He's absolutely, um, again, like one of the best defenders on one of the best defending teams. He's a guy that sticks out on ball. He'll he'll get steals and blocks on his guy. And he, he has some versatility to him. He's not quite, I think he weighed in at just under 200 pounds of the combine, but he still has versatility and kind of can take some physicality relative to that frame. And of course, at age 19, that projects to get better. And so he's obviously like probably a better defensive prospect than Prosper and, you know, a lot of other guys. He might be one of the best defensive prospects in the draft. And the one thing that's interesting is he couldn't shoot for, you know, for anything uh, in college. I think he was just 41% from the field, 24% from three on one and a half attempts per game. And, you know, he, he hit some mid rangers, but even not at a very high clip. But the interesting thing, the thing that makes him so like, or that could make scouts and teams so hopeful is the fact this guy shot 82% from the free throw line. So there's something there. You get some NBA coaching on him. I mean, this guy could feasibly become a 3 and D, great athlete, runs the floor, could be a hell of a player. And the defensive um, like upside there is legitimate, and it, it seems uh, it seems like it'll he, he can develop into a really good defender sooner than later. So he would be a guy that. You probably wouldn't want to see the floor very much in his first year, although you'd probably want him to test the waters every now and then, obviously, but as a winning team. But at pick 38, you could be getting yourself a defensive stopper in, in your near future. And I, I, again, I've said that about other guys, and I'm, I'm totally ready to be wrong about a bunch of these fellas. But, um, man, I think Julian Phillips is a guy that – and I think he, he's starting to get talked about a little bit more um, over the last couple of weeks. He's a really interesting player, but um, also another guy that is interesting and really only for his shooting is Tristan Vucevic out of uh, like Sweden, Serbia. Yeah, he's super interesting in that like he was born in Italy because his dad played there. His dad is Serbian and something else, and then his mom is like Swedish and Greek. And uh, so he's like Swedish Serbian, but he's also got like a Greek last like middle name or something like Salkis or something. It'll be like Tristan Salkis Vucevic. So he's a man. He's a he's a he's an all European man. Yeah. And uh, he encompasses practically the whole continent aside from the west side of it. And uh, he can shoot the freaking mess out of the ball. I think his he's super lean. I don't even know if he could play the five early on in his career. But as like a stretch four option, but really, I feel like you'd want to stash him away. Some people talk about his shooting is so great that would put him in the NBA right away. I mean, 
I feel like guys, he, he was kind of flirting with the draft. I think the last two seasons, he was always going to be considered a, a stash guy. I was going to call him a trash guy, but um, that wouldn't be nice. And uh, <laughs> they, uh, you know, he, he opted out obviously, but you know, at age 20, I feel like you'd still maybe want him to go over for another year or, or two. Cause you'd like to see his body kind of fill out a little bit. He's seven feet, 223 pounds. He's not like, you know, Chet Holgren, Holmgren thin, but, um, you know, and he moves well. I mean, it's, it's, what's interesting. The defense is a big question. Cause it's just like, who's he going to guard at this point? Cause he's not super strong, but he, he's a hell of a shooter. And it, you, you watch the clips of him in the combine, uh, scrimmage. And it's just like hitting shots on the catch, hitting like little dribble fadeaways from the elbow. It's just like, man, this guy, and he just looks good doing it. I mean, just look very natural, very good stroke to him, good feel on that end. But I think he's definitely a project. You know, he would not be. Yeah. Bad. Which wouldn't be bad, you know, like. Yeah. Like you said, stash him away, let him play. What Luke's seeing right now? Seeing Serbia? Yeah. Yeah, just let him develop a little more over there and then bring him over in a couple of years, like Vezinkov or Bojan, or not Bojan, but Bog. Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, I wouldn't be a terrible move either. Right. And he kind of falls a lot oftentimes in that kind of like mid 30s, sometimes late 30s, early 40s pick range. So mm-hmm. feasibly, it's feasible. Not bad for probably. a second rounder. Yeah. I mean, these second rounders are probably just being the G League anyway. Yeah. So, you know, he just, he just seems like. I mean, that shot is just so legit, you know? Yeah. And that seems like a bigger commodity in term than, than a defensive guy. So he might have more pull at 38, but, you know, it'd be interesting to see. And then it's just like pick 54. I don't even, again, I don't even know if the Kings will keep these second round picks. Um, but there are a few guys late in the second round that, again, are probably more well-suited for pick 54. There's better players than these guys, obviously. But if you're talking about pick 54, there's two guys that I'll pair together because they're kind of similar in terms of both being 6'5 and big-framed and have shown the ability to shoot, but are both, I think, seniors and are either 22 or 23 years old. Um, Keontae Johnson out of Kansas State, uh, and Seth Lundy out of Penn State are the two guys. And Lundy is 214 pounds, and Johnson is 239 pounds. That's what he weighed in at the combine. And Johnson's got a seven foot wingspan. Lundy's got a six ten wingspan. Both of them can shoot the ball. Like it's proven. That's some of their best stuff. Um, and Keontae Johnson is notable as being just an absolutely great cutter. He has a great feel for it. Um, he already plays with great energy, but he also has just great awareness and makes good timely cuts. And he's he's really uses his frame well to finish, you know, through contact and whatnot. Um, and he got to the free throw line. I think he got four per game. He shot at the free throw line 71.5%, which isn't terrible. Um, and he's got, like I said, got a little bit of a defensive kind of upside to him. We'll have to see. I mean, it's interesting because 
you know, he, he'd be playing the three and there's probably guys that are quicker than him, but he's got the frame for it, no doubt. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And I guess the same can be said of Lundy. I feel like Johnson's a little bit probably higher in terms of value, but Lundy might have a little bit more on defense because I think he was the Nittany Lions' his best defender this past season. And, you know, he's another guy that shot 40% on 6.4 attempts and he got to the line at a rate of three per game, three attempts, and he shot 80% from uh, from three. But it's I think there's a little bit more questions about maybe what else he can kind of do in terms of offense. And I just think that Johnson is a little bigger in terms of size, has a better wingspan. Um, but I think either of those guys, if you, you, you got them at 54, I mean, those are types of guys that, could surprise you. And those are the type of guys that have skill sets that don't wow anybody. And yeah, they're the back of the, you know, the middles of the back of the second round, but they're guys that would understand, hopefully understand a role because they have the skill set to fit a very specific role. And they could be kind of like big bodied three and D guys have some versatility on defense potentially. And I don't know, you could get something out of them. Obviously the nitty gritty of like, talking to them and doing the interviews and the, the character test and the work ethic test would all have to play out and you'd be able to kind of have a better idea of who's the more high value pick. But those are two guys that it definitely caught my eye for the back of the draft. It's kind of one of those things where it's just like you get to the back of the draft and you're like, are you, even these guys going to want to get picked or are they just going to go the undrafted route? So yeah. these, these are two guys that you could also potentially get. You know, I think some of them aren't even on, I think, Lundy is on all of them, which is interesting. But I think Johnson's on a few, and he'll be higher than Lundy on a lot of them. Uh, but who knows? They they both might go undrafted, and, and you might be able to swipe them up. And one more guy I would talk about to finish this up. One more guy I would mention, and probably only saying this because I think he might actually have one of the better names in the draft. Obviously, you know, you're talking about Grady Dick. You know, that's a that's a that's a great name. <laughs> But I guess on a more serious scale, the guy by the name of Mojave King. His name is Mojave. And his last name's King, which would be perfect for the Sacramento Kings. Right. Not Monk. <laughs> uh, Malik. Oh, Malik. Yeah. Was, you're right. Malik means King, not Monk. Malik. You know what Malik means in Arabic? I can always sense when Mr. Mark Jones is going to say that. I can sense it. But Mojave King is a guy that really doesn't like wow you with anything. He's really just a good athlete. He projects to be a solid defender, runs the floor, good cutter, kind of does the little things. Um, the shooting's going to have to come along. So you're basically getting it as a 20-year-old. You're getting a, a, a guy that might be able to develop into a role. That's a little similar. I mean, obviously, like he is a little undersized. I don't know if he's really full-time a wing. But maybe if he can add a little bit more to his frame, you know, again, like the size isn't great. The athleticism isn't astounding. It's good. But you might have, as opposed to somebody like Keontae Johnson and Seth Lundy, um, you might have a guy that has, you can kind of cultivate a little bit. Um, So that's another guy that's worth throwing out there. But it's really the name. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a great name. The name is great. Yeah, he's uh 
he's he's interesting. He's like one of those guys that played for the G League Ignite that just does not get talked about as much as like Scoot Henderson or Suzoko or uh, uh, not Brandon Miller, Leonard Miller. Um, who else? Am I missing anybody? I don't know. I don't really know the teams that well, who they play for. I think that's so interesting about the G League Ignite because I think they play in Walnut Creek. and uh, Or maybe not Walnut Creek, maybe like San Jose area. Maybe it's uh, like Los Gatos or something. <laughs> like something in between, maybe a little south southwest of San Jose. One of those towns. And I'm like, that's kind of that's kind of close. It's closer than Sacramento, <laughs> uh, for me. Like, yeah, I want to go see them play. Or they play Santa Cruz and they play Stockton, obviously. So yeah, be kind of cool to see them. It's an interesting team that they kind of developed in the last couple of years. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, but yeah, pretty. Pretty crazy. That's basically the 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 gist, at least like surface level, immediate thoughts about these draft picks and whatnot. Yeah, a lot of a lot of options for the Kings. Who who you know who knows who's going to be there um, at twenty four, thirty six, or fifty four. Um, so a lot of guys to talk about. And John, I think does a great job. You should check out CapsuleCrown.com. Check out some of the the who the Kings may select series and read a little more about these guys and comment who you think the Kings should take with one of their picks. Yeah. I could just see myself in the front office with Monty McNair and I'm just like, nah, you don't understand. You don't understand. Kobe Brown's going <laughs> to be Draymond Green. You got to take him at 24. Take him at 24. Just... Somebody's going to swoop him up. <laughs> he doesn't take Who him knows? and I just storm out. No, that's it. We're done. I quit. <laughs> Shut out the power in the freaking building. <laughs> Good luck picking at 38. Good luck lighting the beam. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, thank God that'll never happen. Nobody will ever. And nor should they. <laughs> I didn't know about a lot of these guys until about a couple weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> but if everybody's being honest with themselves, I think a lot of people would agree. Grady Dick's the move, dude. That's Grady all. Dick. That's all we know. We've been gravitating, gravitating towards Grady Dick for so long. It's all going to come to fruition in a couple of weeks. Hopefully, the Dick drops to twenty-four. The Dick drops. I love it. But on that note, I think we should probably get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I want to thank you all for tuning in. Uh, like I said, comment who you think the Kings should draft. But until next time, have a good one.